Shalom again. Today we ask the question, why go to the gates of hell to announce the founding of the church? Find out today on Our Jewish Roots with Bible teaching by Dr. Jeffrey Simon. Sunrise on the Galilee. Simon Peter prepares his nets for a day at sea. Much like the sea, Peter is unpredictable, calm and steady. And then, in an instant, tempestuous. As we reflect upon the Lord's most intriguing disciple, we can see ourselves because we too have been broken and then restored. We too, in so many ways, are much like Peter. We're so glad you've joined us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. Jeffrey Seif. So last week's program was about Peter and Yeshua walking on the water, a wonderful miracle. Today we head north about 25 miles. Not really a great place that we head to today, yes? Well, it depends who you talk to. It's fascinating at one level. It's a famous ruin uh, in the Hellenistic Greek world and uh, not always frequented by Jews, but it was an important place. There was interesting interaction there with Jesus and the gang, his I've, disciples. I've got to say, uh, our first tour there that we went up to the Caesarea Philippi area, and they said, this is the gates of hell. And we went, oh, they're not old creaky gates. We always thought that, you know, that the gates of hell will not prevail, that it's like these literal big metal gates. And it's everything that this place where you're filming at, what it was. We hear Jesus' words when we read the Bible. When we visit the places uh, where those words were given, it gives perspective of what he's saying that wouldn't otherwise be there. Thus the expression gates of hell. But the real biggie there to my way of thinking is when Jesus raised the question, who do men say that I am? And we have the first opportunity to acknowledge him as Messiah, profound. It's a good Peter place, isn't it? It surely is, yes. It is. Right now we head to Northern Israel to find out more about the life and legacy of Peter. Let's go there now. In the first century, Caesarea Philippi was a center of pagan worship. A strange place, it would seem, for Yeshua to bring his disciples. But he had, for good reason. And now Peter and Andrew pack their bags, anxious to leave the gates of hell behind them. <laughs> אני חושב שזאת הדרך שלו לדבר על גיהנום, על אלילים, על זביחה לאלילים. הרי כל זה קיים בקיסריה פיליפית. ולמה אנשים שאלו אותנו מה... הוא שאל אותנו מה אנשים חושבים עליו? ישנם כאלה שאמרו... לא אכפת לי מה אנשים חושבים. אני אמרתי לו שהוא המשיח, אני אמרתי לו שהוא בן אלוהים חיים. אמיץ. כן, אמיץ, רק בגלל שאני באמת מאמין בזה. הוא אמר לי שאיכשהו הוא יבנה את הקהילה שלו על הווידוי שלו. הווידוי שלך? כן, שלי. דייג מהשורה. אני יכול להבין את זה. אני זוכר כאשר פגשנו אותו לראשונה. דאגנו והוא אמר שהוא יהפוך אותנו לדייגי אדם. בזמנו זה לא היה נשמע לי הגיוני, אבל... עכשיו אני מבין יותר טוב. יש לו תוכניות עבורנו. הוא, הוא ציווה עלינו. לפרוץ את שערי הגיהנום. אם אנחנו נאמין בו, אנחנו לא נפחד, לא מאלילים ולא מאלה שסובכים להם. 
ישוע מתקוותנו, הוא הווייתנו. בואו נלך לדוג. On many occasions, Jesus said things and did things that offended of the sensibilities of his hearers. They were shocked. One of those things he did was that he brought people here. Where is here? Well, we're at a site called Caesarea Philippi. And it was here where Jesus told the disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I mention that because in first century Judea, Hebrews saw this place as the gateway to hell. I mention that because behind me was a pagan shrine that was perceived as the gateway to the underworld, interestingly. This is the equivalent of Jesus taking people to a red light district. That is to say, this isn't a place where pious Jews would frequent, but Jesus brought them here to Caesarea Philippi. Behind me, you'll see a, uh, a big rock face, and there's niches carved into it wherein uh, pagan deities were placed. Pagans would come here. There was a big temple protruding out of that cave. The, the, the temple isn't there any longer, but the cave is. It was a place dedicated to Pan. Pan, uh, the place actually today is called Banyas. Uh, actually, Panyas with a P, not a B, Uh, the Romans referred to it as such, dedicated to the mythological figure of Pan. Pan was known uh, to be able to, in the mythological mind, to frequent heaven and earth on a quick notice. And uh, the shrine behind me was a gateway to the underworld where demons would come out, if you will. And it was here that Jesus brought his disciples to teach them a lesson. We can see it in the Matean Gospel. Actually, Mark and Luke tell the story as well, but I want to develop the Matean text in chapter 16 when Yeshua comes here and he asks a question in verse 13. And the question is, who do men say that I am? Now, when he asks a question, it's not that he doesn't know the answer. It's rather Socratic, if you will. It's a teaching method that was common in antiquity. You would ask a question to begin the conversation to make a point. They kick it around, subsequent to which Peter pipes in. He says in verse 16, you are the Mashiach. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. This is the first time in the Gospels where that is articulated. Jesus is commonly referred to as the Christ. It's not his last name. You know, his mother and father weren't Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Of course, he's divinely born. Uh, but I thought as such growing up. But Christ is a title that's employed. Uh, Jesus, prior to this, he's, he's known as a miracle worker, a healer, a wonder worker, and what have you. But here someone zeroes down and says, you are the Messiah. He says it here. Subsequent to which, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, by the way, Simon in century one was a common uh, Jewish name, kind of like John is. If, if you're an American, or Charles, or Joffrey. You know, my name is Jeffrey, but in Britain it's Joffrey with, with the GEO. There are common names, but as you might recall uh, from a previous segment and from your own understanding of biblical literature, that he was renamed. He says, uh, Simon, uh, 
that my Father has revealed this to you, and I also tell you that you are Peter. Now, what's interesting, the word Peter, we're looking at a Greek word for rock. And we're up against this rock face wherein uh, deities were enshrined. But here you have Peter confessing that he is the Mashiach, subsequent to which Jesus employs the name Peter, rock, against this rock face with this background in mind. And he says that upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, frankly, people argue, well, this is the argument, it's a theological argument that Peter, uh, the church is going to be built upon his person. And there's a whole uh, uh, well-known religious denomination that, that alights upon that perspective. Others, and I include myself within the others, that argue that it, it's the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That's the principal foundation. That's the point that's at play here. I mention that because when he calls him Peter, uh, as he does here in, in verse 18. I could call him Chol, uh, which is sand, <laughs> which seems to be more descriptive of the fellow. Or another name could be Cheres, which is clay. It seems to me that, that Peter isn't that rock-solid sort of fellow that we know. But the confession itself stands as that which is rock-worthy and solid. And he gave voice to it here subsequent to which the Lord says that uh, this is going to be the beginning of something new. And it's true the confession that Jesus is the Messiah is the beginning of something new. It needn't be just the beginning of Christian history, and it is in so many ways, but it can be that confession that's the beginning of something new with you. Our Creator chose certain places on the planet to reveal Himself and His message of redemption to us. Mount Sinai, Moriah, Olives, the Mount of Beatitudes, as well as various seas, rivers, and deserts, these were the places. Some are now only ruins, yet they continue to tell of the Lord's faithfulness and love. These sacred backdrops have been beautifully captured in our resource this week the book, Heaven and Earth, Landmarks of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Our producer and director, Ken Berg, has assembled some of his favorite photographs taken during his four decades of travel through the lands of the Bible. Contact us and ask for the book, Heaven and Earth. Our Jewish Roots is more than just a television program. See what you are missing on our social media outlets. On Facebook and Twitter, you'll find our daily Name of God devotional, current news articles, the Bearded Bible Brothers, and more. On our YouTube channel, you'll find faith foundations, music, interviews, the Bearded Bible Brothers, and more. Or find everything on our website, levitt.com. We invite you to keep in touch and join us on social media. The goal of this ministry is to show the world the Jewish roots of Christianity. If your soul resonates with our goal, 
would you consider becoming a regular monthly contributor to this ministry? Your dollars will go far in this world sharing the gospel. We promise you that. I want to talk to you about our monthly newsletter that many of you get. You're one of about 20 writers that monthly bring us insight about Israel and things going on in our Bible, in the world. So I'm so glad that you do that. It's great. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> right now we continue our story of Peter as he and his brother Andrew make haste to leave Caesarea Philippi. They don't totally understand the message about the keys to the kingdom, but they still leave with absolute assurance about their Messiah. אני חושב שאני מבין את המסר. אבל איזה זכות יש לנו נגד אלה שמעלינו בסמכותם? אני לא מבין לגמרי, אבל הוא אמר שמפתחות מלכות שמיים יינתנו לי. מפתחות המלכות? כן. הוא אמר שמה שהותיר בארץ, איכשהו יותר בשמיים, ומה שאסור בארץ, איכשהו ייאסר בשמיים. לא יאמן. אבל היינו עדים לניסים בלקוח הבלתי נתפס שלו. אנחנו חייבים להאמין לדבריו. נכון, אנחנו חייבים. זה לא רק בשבילי, זה בשביל כולנו. המשיח נמצא בקרבנו בכדי להטיב עמנו. אני מאמין שהוא יכול. גם אני. Theologians hark to the black hole in this place. As mentioned in the previous segment, in century one, people saw this as the gateway to hell. This was quite a pagan shrine, a place that Jews wouldn't frequent. But Jesus brought his Talmidim, Yeshua, Jesus brought his disciples here. And it was here where Peter acknowledges that Yeshua is the Mashiach, the Messiah. Subsequent to which, Jesus says of Peter that upon this confession, I'm going to build something new and powerful, and the gates of hell will not prevail. That is, this new movement is not going to be absorbed into the black hole of space. or to be absorbed by the powers that were construed as coming from this place. It's an interesting story. And by the way, when I open up the Bible, I oftentimes want to go back to century one and be the historian, be the tour guide. But what I want to do here at this place is be the pastor, the more so. And I say that because when I hear the language of Jesus, when he says, He calls this flaky man a rock. And when he says of him that I'm going to build my community upon you, that tells me that success can come from something that isn't perfect. And that that success can prevail even when people find themselves amidst imperfect circumstances. That is to say, hell's not going to prevail. He doesn't say it's not going to assail. He doesn't say there won't be a contest. But he says at the end of the day, the Jesus story is a winning team. Now, if I were a betting man and not a believer, I don't know that I would have bought it when I first heard it. You're looking at Jesus, you know, a wonder worker philosopher who gathers a group of flaky people around him to think this is going to be a world movement. 
that's going to take on the forces of darkness, uh, people wouldn't have seen it coming. They would have thought this is a fad that's going to come and go. But there is something inherently powerful. If I take the literature literally and seriously, there's something inherently powerful in the gospel that can change people's flaky lives, that can bring them into something strong, and that can give them a sense of prevailing amidst the turbulence of trying times. Now, that's an interesting story, and I'm summing it up in my own words, but that is, in effect, what Jesus was saying. And the reason why I want to alight upon it and speak to it as a pastor, more so than as a theologian, as a historian, is because a lot of times we feel vexed by circumstance. We feel beaten. We look at our lives, we look at our situation, we go, oh my, it just doesn't look like there's a win. You know, we, we, we do our own math, we count the money in our bank, we count the circumstances that beset us and we can wonder, how are we going to make it? We see brokenness within us, in our bodies. We can see brokenness in our relationships. And certainly, with anyone that has eyes to see, we can see brokenness in the culture that we live in. And it's easy to go, oh my, in a sense of despair. That is to say, we're, we're coming from a place in our gut where it feels that the forces of darkness are just going to get the better of it all. Isn't it good to know, and this indeed is the point that Jesus was making, that those of us that confess him as Lord, that we sign up and ultimately we become part of a winning team. At the end of the day, we're the head and not the tail. Uh, we're a victor, not a victim. We're destined to conquer and not be conquered. As I'd said a moment ago, the Jesus story didn't look like much, a ragtag group of fishermen just following Jesus around the countryside as he tells stories and, you know, does miracles. Uh, who's, who would know that it would come to this? The world over, people confessing that Jesus is Lord and attesting to the fact it's been transformative of their own life. That doesn't just need to be people in your webs of relationship. That can be your own voice coming from amidst your own circumstances. And I think that's extremely important, and I think it's really good to know. It's a pastoral point. Pastors usually open up a Bible and they speak from a pulpit somewhere. Here, my pulpit is the Holy Land. And by the way, thank you for bringing me here. While this place is referred to as the Holy Land, this particular piece of land is not noted to have been particularly holy. But Jesus said something sacred here that has profound implications for history. Not just human history, but your history as a human being. And I want you to take them up on it. That confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Hey, buy into that, go that direction, and you too can experience, much like Peter, that the forces of hell will not prevail. This program is unique in the fact that we enjoy taking all of you to the exact spots that Dr. Seif is teaching about. And today's program was Caesarea Philippi. It's, it's history is rough and hard, but it also has such incredible beauty because it's the headwaters for the Jordan River. So you have these bubbling springs that are pure and gorgeous. And then you have the gates of hell 
side of the mountain that's so ugly and it's just is it juxtaposition? Is that the correct term? There you go. Doctor. Yeah, juxtaposition when you impose two different kinds of images yeah. together. Yeah, it really is interesting. Part of the history, we need to see what happened there. That's why when people visit Israel, you know, pilgrims come, and why Zola Levitt, the founder of the ministry, said one trip to Israel is worth 10 years of Sunday school. It is just, uh, to see it is to believe it, really, quite frankly. But we can't understand uh, the scripture. I mean, you can't. You can read it and understand it, and we have for our whole lives, but when you see it, there's something that takes you to a whole nother level, and we're so thankful that you were able to point out this is where this happened and it makes it come alive. I think it entails cultivating the aptitude to listen. I learned from many years of marriage that uh, if a woman doesn't feel heard, she doesn't feel loved. And I mention that because to make biblical literature the object of attention entails paying attention to what's being said, the interactions, the context, the place, and the extent to which we can get all of that in view. Uh, someone that can do that is listening, they're penetrating, and because they're putting more into the experience of studying Scripture, they can get more out of it. Now, looking at the Bible, uh, looking at the good news through the eyes of the Jews and going to Israel to get that view, it does a lot of that work for us. It kind of puts text in context and place, and it gives it a clarity, a brilliance, a significance that might not otherwise be captured. It's so true, and today was the biggie. It's one of the big Peter stories. Yeshua is saying, who do they say I am? And he says, you are the Christ. It, it's the first acknowledgement, the first of billions. Uh, if I was a betting man around century one, seeing Jesus with this ragtag militia of unemployed fishermen, I wouldn't think this is going to take over the world, <laughs> especially when the boss gets, get, gets crucified and everyone else scatters. You know, you wouldn't think this is a winning team. Um, but truth be known, there's a lot of power in the confession that Jesus is Lord, and that uh, in the text here we see, that we see the first articulation of that. And now here we are 2,000 years later, look at the impact that's had on the world. I, I love that, I never even thought of that. He was the first one to say that, and, and we're worship leaders and we sing those words week after week, you are Lord, you are Lord, you know, and here Peter said for the first time, that's who you are. Yeah, That's and, and it reminds me too that a lot of people that say Jesus is Lord don't really understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the, people say Jesus is Lord without him being the Lord of our life. People say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. But if you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you're saying, I believe Jesus is the Christ. If you say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, you're saying, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. If you're saying, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, that presupposes there's, the person has some understanding of what the Older Testament says about the Messiah to say, I think Jesus is it. But saying Jesus Christ is just some kind of catechetical statement. Most people don't realize what they're saying, and I mention that because neither did Peter. You know, Peter says, you are the Messiah, but then as you read on, it shows he didn't really know what a Messiah was all about. Mm. It comes incrementally. Can I say this? You surely uh, can. I'm kind of in awe just sitting here with you, drinking it in. Mm -hmm. uh, I had Bible class at 19 years of age, at a Bible college in Southern California, 7.45 in the morning. I think my professor was the twin brother to Ben Stein. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. All right, Boys. class, turn over. And it was Boring. really hard for me. <laughs> but we, we, you, bring the same message that I heard at 19 
to life, and it's just amazing. Well, you're kind. You're hearing me speak for four minutes or five minutes, not 45 minutes. I might put True. you to sleep, too. No. No. Nope. <laughs> Stay wide away. <laughs> it's fascinating. It really is. Well, you're kind. You know, I think that we live in a world today where uh, there's an appreciation for Jewish views and the good news. Now, a lot of times Bible teachers want to come up with fads. You know, how can I direct your attention my way and then your dollars to follow your attention? Well, here's this novel teaching, here's this, this, here's this, that, you know, and, and, and trying to garner enthusiasm and attention. We uh, aren't as minded to teach things that are new as much as things that have been forgotten. And, and uh, our niche, if you will, isn't to come up with new doctrines, it's to go back and take a deeper look at the older ones and, and dig around it with a Jewish perspective. And we think it gives it vitality that wouldn't otherwise manifest. And go back one more time, it's masterclass what you do for us <laughs> and kind. for you. Yes. Thank hey, you. we get to sing Zola songs. We've been doing it for six years. This song is about Peter and it says, the sick are healed, the blind can see, the lame can walk, miracles. We go to these places where these miracles took place, and it's an honor for us to sing these songs written by our founder, Zola Levitt. But before we do that. The song will come in a second. I hope to see you in a week as you go. Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When we first saw you by the sea, my brother Andrew, there with me. We saw a rabbi, some new sect. How could I have known? How could I suspect? You simply told us, follow me. We left our nets there in the sea. If I could live that moment again, that moment you made us fishers of men. The sick are healed, you can talk, the blind can see, the lame can walk. I was so shy, I was so shocked, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And now you ask me, Am I as if I'd not been by your side? The things you showed me, the love I saw. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. The sick are healed, the mute can talk, the blind can Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 
wonders. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.